I think the thing for me was I didn't want to be 40 and hate my job. And at that moment, I was hating my job. Welcome to No Limits. I'm Rebecca Jarvis. Each week, we're talking to women playing at the top of their game. Founders, actors, athletes, chefs, comedians, musicians. Bottom line, these are women who win. So how are they doing it? We're taking you way beyond the bios, looking at their struggles, triumphs, risks, biggest mistakes, and some of the worst advice they've heard along the way. Whether you're looking for answers or you just want to hear a good story, you're in the right place. You might recognize today's guest by her favorite line, Hootie Who. It was her signature line that we all came to know and love while she competed on Bravo's Top Chef. She is an entrepreneur of the food world who wasn't originally on that path, or at least it didn't look like it. She started out in Nashville, Tennessee, studied business at Howard University, did a brief stint in accounting for PricewaterhouseCoopers, but before leaving all of it behind to travel Europe, where she discovered a passion for all things culinary. Cooking with love is the central ingredient in all her cookbooks, and most recently her very first restaurant opened this past June, Carla Hall's Southern Kitchen, described as a love letter to Nashville, which is now in Brooklyn, New York. Oh, and she's also a co-host on the Emmy Award-winning series, The Chew. No big deal there. Carla Hall, welcome. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you. It's great to be here. I'm thrilled to have you. And I was when I was looking over your resume and your bio, I wanted to know what was going through your mind at that point that you said, you know what, no more Price Waterhouse Coopers, no more business. I'm off to Europe. I think the thing for me was I didn't want to be 40 and hate my job. And at that moment, I was hating my job. And what did you hate about it? I loved studying accounting. I felt like I was boxed in. And I was in public accounting, so you're not really in the same office. You're going to your clients' offices. And there was an accountant who I was doing an audit in Ocala, Florida. And I swear it was like 106 degrees, all 100% humidity, and I was dying. <laughs> and I felt nauseous. And I looked over and I saw this accountant taking this piece of paper and lining up the edges and he was folding it and I was looking at him with horror and I'm like oh my goodness that can't be me in you know 25 years and so um, I said I'm quitting you just did it right then and there. I, I tendered my resignation that next Monday, and, and I was gone in two weeks. And how did you decide on Europe? Well, I I had been modeling at Howard University, and then I met some girls when I was living in Tampa, Florida, um, when I was working at Price Waterhouse. At the time, it was just Price Waterhouse before they became Price Waterhouse Coopers. And so it was a way for me to meet people, and I met these girls who were moving to France. And I said, you know what? I think I'll do that, too. Let's it, it, go. Was, it was just it was just like that. And I think I was the biggest fear for me was hating my job at 40. And when I look back, people are like, weren't you scared to go to a foreign country and you didn't know the language and you didn't know anyone? I mean, I had no I had one telephone number when I went. All I knew was I was afraid of failure and I didn't want my I didn't want that job. That's all I knew. And then what did you do? <laughs> so then I had I had one. I was living in a pensione in the 14th arrondissement. <laughs> I lived in the 14th arrondissement. Really? Yes, no! at Cité Université. Oh, anyway, listen, we'll listen talk about you. that later, another day. <laughs> so wait, you can appreciate this. I didn't know that much French. I I learned a little bit of French in for. Um, when I was in Tampa, by somebody who was there on a tour of duty, and. <clears throat> 
And so I learned a little bit of French, and I went down to order. It was like the first day I was there, and I go to this patisserie, and I said, "On croissant du beurre, s'il vous plaît." On croissant du beurre, and she would not give it to me until I pronounced it correctly. Now this was back in the late '80s, so wow. I was like, "Oh my gosh, I'm going to starve here." Good for modeling, bad for personal <laughs> reasons. And uh, of all places to starve, Paris is not one that you want to not be eating in. I know. Right. Right. So, And that's where I learned. That's where I fell in love with food. You know, so you're there. What what were you taking with you from from your life that you were applying at this point? I think um, it was honestly my discipline for and I, I, I have these same little books that I kept. I everything that I spent, I knew how much money I had. So everything that I spent, I, I don't care if it was like, um, you know, five, five cents or whatever. I wrote it down and I and I had a list of, of daily. I knew how much money I could spend. So at this point, I'm, I'm literally being an accountant for my own life. And I also used my skills of like going into an office and meeting people and being able to talk to strangers. That's what I did because I had to go to a lot of um, I had to go to a lot of um, go sees, being a model, and how I had to handle myself and what I had to wear and how I had to present and and just being professional. Because at this point, I was what twenty four, twenty five. Yeah. You were young. I was young. Were you were you always as outgoing as we all know you to be? The funny thing is a lot of people think that I'm outgoing, but I'm actually borderline introvert extrovert, which no one knows. And Michael Simon mentions it uh, occasionally on the show because when I'm when I'm at somebody's house, I'm so chill. And I've even had people come up to me on the street and say, "Are you okay? You don't you don't seem as fun as, you know, you are oh, on television." No. And I'm like, "No, I'm just, you know, I'm just chilling. I'm good." Well, you don't want to have to always be performing. No, you know? exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So so you you grew up kind of on between. Sometimes you're mm-hmm. introverted, sometimes you're extroverted. Right. When you ended up going and doing Bravo. Yep. Mm-hmm. What was that like for you? That was um it was an adventure. I I my my six word advice to anybody is say yes, adventure follows, then growth. So that's that's those my advice in six words. And, and keep I, track of your money. And keep track, style. Right, and keep track of your money because there'll be no growth. Um, <laughs> so my whole thing there, it was a personal challenge. And I didn't realize how popular the show was. I just went on as a personal challenge. And then I just kept going. And I and I, I was 42 years old at the time. I don't think they expected me to really go through the whole thing. You know, it's probably one of those throwaway contestants because they have like a whole formula that they do and I was a caterer too so I wasn't from one of these big restaurants and you know that everyone knows I was this little caterer from Washington DC and I was 42 years old but the thing is I was this person who had been you know in London and Paris and I made things happen and then as a caterer and being my own boss you have to make it work it's like make it work you know whatever you have you have to be flexible and you have to think on your feet and you have to just get her done and all of that changed in different kitchens and different ingredients. I'm like, okay, this is what we have. This is what we have. You know, and you work with it. That It's a really good point because I think anybody who sees it all from the outside, you assume that it's just kind of perfect, that everything is just made to order and all 
but no. No. That's not how any of this stuff goes. Oh, absolutely not. No, it's real. The challenges are real. Whenever you see on television, and even if if it's on the chew and it's, we're giving away $5, you know, you have to have the attorney sign off on it. It has to be a <laughs> fair contest. So, you know, the timing was real. The challenges were real. Nothing, you know, nothing given to us in advance. And... You know, and it was it was really stressful. I, I must admit, it was really stressful. But then at some point when I was at the judge's table and I was on the bottom, I said, wait a minute, no one has ever died here. Has anyone seen anybody die? No, no, no nobody died. Okay, I'm good. The I'm stakes good. are not so crazy. Exactly. They're not, it's not life or death. It's, you know, are you going to move on or, or aren't you? And what I also realized, and this was a life lesson there, when you were on the top, you got feedback from all these amazing chefs whom you would have never met. And when you're on the bottom, you got feedback. When you're in the middle, you get nothing. And so in my head, I said, okay, so for me, I either want to be on the top or the bottom because these are people that I may never speak to. I may never get, you know, this this nugget of knowledge from. So I'm open wherever I'm going to get it. And, and you know, and where if I'm on the bottom, I'm going to take this information. I'm going to use it the next time. And and that's how I sort of matriculate it through. And so that almost says to me that you're somebody who believes in taking big swings. You're not you're not trying to play it safe ever. Right. I, I do. I take big swings. But, you know, it's calculated risks. You know, I, I learn from my mistakes. I learned not to be afraid of failing. You know, I learned to just say, OK, you know, this didn't work out. I'm OK. And the only thing that's hurt is my ego. How did you learn that in the beginning? I think I think I learned it on Top Chef and you know and at the time again I was 42 and I look back when you're in your 30s you're like oh my god everything matters everything matters and honestly when you get to be older you're like okay it's it's time to really start learning from your mistakes and I, and I think okay I've been here before what did I learn it's it's the what makes it hard is when people don't learn when they don't learn from their mistakes and they feel like they they have to be so perfect. But the thing is, life isn't perfect. And this, those mistakes help other people as they're watching you. And they also help yourself. I would imagine along the way, you've also received a lot of advice. Yes. Some of it good, some of it awful. Um, I think my grandmother always said, um, it's your job to be happy, not rich. You know, I think that was... That it's a choice. It's is a, that what she was saying? Well, it's it's a choice. But it, yes, your your job, it's, being happy is your choice. And focus on your happiness and don't for, focus on your pocketbook. Because if you focus on your happiness, the pocketbook will come. I mean, and whether it comes at 40 or whether it comes at 60, it will come. But the but the journey is the joyful part. And even the when you're, when you're down on your knees and you're crying in the shower, and I've been there... You know, I've gotten up and I was like, okay, I can go to the, I can go to the next thing. And, and even that's hard, but I'm like, okay, this is not going to last forever. So people see you on the chew all the time. Big fan myself. Thank and you. and you, you have such a, you do, you, you exude that happiness all of the time. Um, and, and I do wonder when I see someone like yourself, so happy when the down moments were and how you rose up from them. Um, I can even talk about the chew. I, I, I must tell you, the first season of The Chew, I thought I was going to get fired. I mean, Why? every day. Because it was so hard. It was so different and such a departure from what I had done. So people are like, well, you were on television. Yes, but I wasn't a host. I wasn't interviewing. I wasn't cooking, interviewing, and hosting at the same time, which is a three-ring circus. And when somebody makes it easy, when you're looking at somebody who's done it, like Michael Simon and, and Mario, because they've done it, they did it on the Food Network, when they make it look easy... 
they're really good. Right, because it's not easy. That's that's the key. You make it look easy because it's actually not. There are a million things going on behind the scenes yes. that no one has any clue about. There, and then, you know, so you'll have an executive producer talking in your ear with that IFB. And I remember it was the first season, probably in the first couple of weeks, and I'm doing this dish, and the executive producer, uh, Gordon Elliott, is saying, egg, and uh, I'm looking around, and then he keeps saying, egg, egg. And so finally, I respond back out loud. No one can hear him, <laughs> but you can hear me. And I'm like, egg. Having and a conversation I, with the voices in my head. Exactly. I just keep saying, egg. And Michael Simon <laughs> walks over laughing that that wonderful, effect, infectious laugh. And he's like, Carla, put the egg in the pan. I'm like, oh, put the egg in the pan. <laughs> but that's the beauty of having a team that supports yes. you in these kinds of things. That's so, so in your head, you were doubting yourself. How did you manage to get through that? Because not only are you thinking that, but there's the whole world. Everyone's commenting. You know, yes. you have social media. You have your executive producer. Who knows what else you were paying attention to at the time? No, and I, I for two seasons, it was really hard. I would go home and I would cry because it was so hard. And I'm like, I can't do this. And I remember a friend telling me, this is just a lesson. It, it is your prayer every day should be authenticity. And and I got it. I'm like, okay. And then I had this, I hit this wall where, where I was so frustrated and I went to the producers and I was like, I was like, oh, I, this is, this is not working for me. And I, and I went on and on and on. And basically I said to them everything that was in my head, I cried, I screamed, I yelled. And I said everything that was in my head, because I said, if I get fired, I don't want to sit at home and say, I wish I had of said, blah, blah, blah. So after that whole thing, and I'm looking at them, and I'm like, I'm not turning away. And I, and, and in my head, I remember looking at them like I was looking at the judges at Top Chef. Nobody ever died there, and nobody's ever going to die here. And they got up, and they were like, wow. Thank you. Now you have arrived. Now you can get to work. And it really was just uh, showing up as myself. And a lot of times, I think, especially in television and radio, and when you are in a in the public eye, people think you're supposed to be this model of something that, and it's not yourself. The thing is the the viewers can see that you have to show up as yourself. So every day my prayer is authenticity. And when I choose to work with different people, when I choose to do endorsements, I, I make sure that I like the product. So I don't, I don't have to just tell you whatever is in a script. I'm telling you what my feelings are about it. And cause that's really important to me. That authenticity is, there's a drought of authenticity, I would say, nowadays. As much as we're told constantly that we're surrounded by it, mm -hmm. it is hard to come by. And I think part of it is that vulnerability yeah. that you're talking about. I mean, the, the, the person that you put forward right. might not appeal. That's might it. not work. That's but you know it. what? If you're not doing that, if you're not really being true to yourself, yeah. then there's always going to be that inside thing that's broken somehow, in my opinion. No, that's absolutely true. And in, in this meeting, um, basically, I said, I'd rather be fired for the person I am than the person that uh, than to being be being bad at doing oh the, the person that they want me to be or whatever. Exactly. That's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah. I know exactly what you mean, because I'm I mean, I'm not in the exact same industry, but we're kind of in the same yeah. world. And yeah, it's it's. There's plenty of pressure out there to completely conform to something else. Mm -hmm. And it's if you're not do if it doesn't feel natural to you and you're doing it and you're doing it only so so, there's nothing yeah. worse than that feeling of I didn't do myself. Yes. I didn't put myself out there for this. I want to talk about your restaurant because that's a huge, huge step. 
yes. for anyone. <gasps> so June, you open, right? Yes. And you, you fundraise on Kickstarter. Yes. So um, about, uh, I want to say one eighth of what we needed was funded on Kickstarter. So Kickstarter was really about um, getting a community of believers to help push me over the over the line. And 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 when we did Kickstarter, we did the we did the Kickstarter to let people know that I I was opening a restaurant because I was very vocal about never wanting a restaurant. I I did not want a Why restaurant. Why didn't you want one? I didn't want one because I think I was thinking Top Chef, fine dining. I I didn't feel that that was my thing i'm more of a um, joint girl i want casual i like the conversations that happen in casual restaurants i like the feel of just maybe throwing your arm over the chair and not being so proper and polite you know what i mean totally accessible accessible and i that's what i love and that's the dining experience that honestly i like when i go into a town i'm like you know where do the locals go you know where do they hang out so i i didn't really reevaluate my dream or idea of a restaurant i just said i don't want it and so my business partner had come to me and he, he was like, okay, let's do a restaurant. He was like, three years. He badgered me. Badger, 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 literally. And so November of 2013, he says, hey, Carla, I have this space I want you to see for our restaurant. I'm like, I don't want a restaurant. Okay, let me go tell this dude, you know, <laughs> to his face, I do not want a restaurant. And I went to see it and it was a restaurant. It was an old Lobel's place on the Upper East Side, sort of midtown. And it, I went in and it felt like a meet and three to me. And I was like, oh, okay, this this reminds me of those restaurants in Nashville. And I, I said, okay, I'm interested in talking about it. And, and the feeling of opening a restaurant bugged me for about a month. And so then I went to Mario, I said, Mario and Michael, and, I, and just having them there as people to talk to, um, I said, I'm thinking about opening a restaurant. And Mario says, if you open one, make it really tight. I mean, I said, I, I said, mm. said I, want, I said, I know I want it to be fast casual. He said, make it really tight. You know, what would it be if it was just something that really meant something to you? And I said, it would probably be Nashville style hot chicken and I'll just do sides. He said, that's what you should do then. You know, and even though there were a lot of um, chicken places opening up, and it took two and a half years. So in the two and a half years that it took us to open, there are all of these hot chicken places come. So by the time my restaurant opened, it's like I'm following this trend, which I don't really care about trends. Because, I, I mean, honestly, you talk about trends to me, and I'm like, okay, insert eye roll. I, <laughs> I really don't care about trends. So, you know, it's really about me sharing the food that I had at my grandmother's house. And so this restaurant truly is very personal. It's very much a love letter to my my hometown of Nashville. It's, it's a love letter to my family and most of all my, my grandmothers, Thelma and Freddie Mae. And, and when you come in, you feel that. What along the way has been the toughest lesson with the restaurant? <sighs> oh my gosh. I think I, the first thing that comes to mind is telling people that I was doing it before it was ready. And, and honestly, the Kickstarter was great, but we also, I feel like we there was a lot of pressure to deliver on those rewards that people um, paid for. And it, it took a year and a half after we did the Kickstarter campaign to raise more money and to do all that. So that, that was hard. And I, and I think that, but in that time, and I believe I needed that time to consciously come into the space of the restaurant. So I, I wouldn't have it any other way, even though it was really, really hard. You really strike me as someone who wouldn't want to let anyone down. 
I true it's true and looking at those names looking at my community of believers and all those Kickstarter um, supporters and their names are on the wall I, I looked at those names as much as they think that we did not think about them I looked at those names every day and I still do and say thank you you're my community of believers and I cannot let you down and that's what kept me going and putting one more one step in front of the other every day I can see how much that mattered to you yeah. how much it still means to you let's talk tips Yes. What do you have for us? I, I have tons of tips, but I think all of the, sh- the, the cooking starts at the store. It really does because you have to plan ahead. You have to make your list. You have to make your menu, but then you have to go to the store, right? And going to the store, it can be several stores. It can be one great store that's comprehensive and has everything. And so that's why I partnered with Aldi because I don't think that you should sacrifice quality and premium products for value. So I'm all about, and on the chew, I talk about it, you know, about a good deal, how I love a good deal. Oh, I love a good deal. You know, right? And I'm kind of cheap, right? (laughs) You know, I love a good deal. So There's um, an endorphin rush you get from a good deal. It's It's pretty awesome. Isn't it funny? Because, you know, it's a a pride. It's very prideful when you get a good deal. But I think when you go to a store and it has the staples as well as the cookware, as well as like the the decor and all of your, um, the things that you're going to use for appetizers and and beautiful cheeses and meats. It's like everything is there, even the things that you didn't think of. So, yes, go in with the list, but also be open to being surprised and having those specials and all of the things that are going to make your life much easier. Before we go, best advice you've received in your life, Carla? Um, I really think the best advice was from my grandmother saying, um, you know, it's your job to be happy not rich. And I, I think about that every day. And, and that's what I do. And that's why when you see me doing something on television or, you know, talking about a brand that I like, I'm really, I'm honestly happy about it because I can truly tell you I believe in it and it gives me such joy. Carla, thank you. Thank you so much. This has been really fun. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of No Limits. If you like what you heard, please make sure to subscribe, rate us, tell your friends. And if there's someone you think we should have on the show, let me know. You can tweet me at Rebecca Jarvis. And of course, you can follow along with us behind the scenes on Facebook, Instagram and Snapchat. And special thanks to the team here at ABC that helps make this happen. It is a big one. Taylor Dunn, Josh Cohan, Andrew Kelb, Michelle Bancardo, Steve Jones, Erica Scott, and Elizabeth Hecht. And join me next Tuesday for an all-new episode of No Limits with Rebecca Jarvis. Until then, take care, be well. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts.